hopefully you're still on board. Grab your Bibles, Mark chapter 13, and uh, we're looking through um, a three-part series in the middle of our Mark series, and a three-part series called Jesus Prophesies. And um, tonight, we're going to be looking at a particular section of Scripture which is extremely difficult to interpret. So if you're here tonight and you're hoping that you're going to walk away from tonight's message with a, with a perfect uh, you know, in, interpretation of what's going to happen in the future, you've come to the wrong place. I'm so sorry. I'll try my best. In fact, probably won't because there's a lot of detail. But what Jesus is doing here is he's talking with his disciples and they're on the Mount of Olives. Now, in the Bible, this section of Scripture is called the Olivet Discourse because Jesus is discoursing on the Mount of Olives. And he's sitting there with his disciples, particularly uh, Simon, um, Andrew, James and John. And they're, they're looking across the, the Kidron Valley, in, across to the, to the temple, the, uh, the beautiful Jewish temple. Now, Jesus had just left the temple uh, earlier that, that day, uh, earlier that afternoon. We're, we're on the Wednesday before Jesus' crucifixion. And he'd just left that temple area. And uh, the disciples had seen that section of the temple where they walked out. And they thought, how amazing is this building? And Jesus, you know, last week we looked at this in, at, at uh, church face-to-face last week. How amazing is this temple? And Jesus talked about how it's going to crumble to the ground. And uh, there's going to be a lot of opposition for you as believers, he's, he's saying, he says to them. Uh, but the opposition is really your opportunity. Remember that, church? Good. And so um, we're still sitting there with Jesus. Imagine yourself there with those four disciples asking Jesus this question. When is this going to happen? And what sign is there going to be? So we know all this is going to happen. You see, the disciples were waiting for the return of Jesus to establish his kingdom on earth. See, at this stage, they know he's the, the Messiah. They know he's the Messiah, right? And so... They just have a bit of a distorted view of what his role is as Messiah. You know, they were thinking of, a, of an earthly kingdom right there and then against the Romans. But Jesus and God, his ways are so much higher than our ways, his thoughts than our thoughts. And so Jesus is actually trying to help the disciples to grasp what is going to happen to them in the very near future, but also a prophecy of the distant future. That will happen to us or people in the future that are reading this prophecy that Jesus shares with them. And so there's countless uh, material on end times. And, uh, you know, the big word is eschatology. Uh, It's the study of the last days and um, the parousia of Jesus, the second coming of Jesus. and, And there's so many different ideas out there. All of them are based on scripture. But. We're not sure which one is the right one. Now, we're a Wesleyan Methodist church, right? So in our statement of uh, faith, we believe that Jesus is going to come back. And there's lots of scriptures there to prove that. Uh, But we don't stand on a particular uh, method of how he's going to come back, a doctrine on how he's going to come back. Uh, But we know he's coming back. The details are up to the Lord God. Not us. But that shouldn't cause us as Wesleyan Methodists 
to not have a mindset that Jesus will return one day. Even if we, you know, we joke around, we're pan-millennialists. It's all just going to pan out in the end. That's really not a good thing to do because he's going to come back and he's got a plan and his plan will come to fruition exactly the way he says it will. And Jesus here, he prophesies about the future, about his return. And so let's have a look at it. Let's have a look at verse 14 to start with. Um, Verse 14 goes like this. Oh, let me find it in my Bible. <clears throat> the day is coming when you will see the sacrilegious object that causes desecration standing where he should not be. Reader, pay attention. Then those in Judea must flee to the hills. All right, so that verse 14, it talks about a sacrilegious object that causes desecration. A sacrilegious object that causes desecration. Now, Jesus has just been talking to the disciples about the fall of the temple. And you see, um, in in the Old Testament, in Daniel, Daniel has this vision given to him by an angel there in Daniel between chapters 9 through to chapter 12, this vision of the return of the Messiah and the overthrow of of the anti-Messiah, and, uh, and the Messiah coming to set up his reign and rule on earth. And Daniel uses this phrase, desecration, uh, uses this phrase, the abomination that causes desolation. And it's the same phrase here in Mark in the New Living Translation. It's a sacrilegious object that causes desecration. And it's standing where he should not be. It's really interesting because in, in Daniel chapter 9 and verse 27, uh, he talks about this, desec- this, uh, this thing that's standing in the temple uh, where it should not be in the temple. And um, we see, oh, let me turn there, in uh, Daniel chapter 9 and verse 27. All right. Let me just read it out for you. In verse 26, after this period of 62 sets of seven, the anointed one will be killed. Okay, the, the Messiah will be killed, appearing to have accomplished nothing. And a ruler will arise whose armies will destroy the city and the temple. The end will come with a flood and war and its miseries are decreed from that time to the very end. Now, this is the verse 27. The ruler will make a treaty with the people the Israelites, for a period of one set of seven. But after half this time, he will put an end to the sacrifices and offerings. And as a climax to all his terrible deeds, he will set up a sacrilegious object that causes desecration until the fate decreed for this defiler is finally poured out on him. This is talking about a person in history, right? And Daniel, the the vision goes on all the way through. And Daniel gets to the point where he sets up the dates and the times. And in fact, it works out perfectly that Daniel's vision, Daniel's prophecy about a a, a person who would 
this defiler that would set up something sacrilegious in the temple uh, was Antiochus Epiphanes. Now, this was this guy, he hated Jewish people and he overthrew Jerusalem. And in fact, he overthrew Jerusalem and didn't like the Jewish people so much that he started offering sacrifices to Zeus in the temple, in the Jewish temple, and defiled God's holy temple, right? And he used, he sacrificed pigs on the altar in that place. And that was in, AD, in BC 168 BC, Antiochus Epiphanes. Now, Epiphanes means glorious one. So this guy thought he was all that and more. And he thought, the God of Israel, he doesn't, he's not really a real God, I'm better than him. And he set himself up as this kind of God in Jerusalem in, in BC 168 BC. Then, in 165 BC, which is three years later, right, three years after that, we have a revolt from all of these um, Jewish people, led by um, Judas Maccabeus, and they regained the temple grounds and Jerusalem, and they rededicated the temple and cleansed the altar and, and, and began worshipping the Lord God again in that temple area, and Antiochus was gone, all right? He was, he was overthrown, killed. And that date was the 14th of December, uh, BC, 165 BC. And they celebrate this festival every single year. Jewish people celebrate this festival of uh, the dedication of the temple because of this. And uh, sometimes they call it Hanukkah or the festival of lights. That's what Hanukkah is. It's the celebration of how God's house was restored back to worship that the Israelites could come in and worship again, and the place was cleansed because this guy had overthrown. Now, Jesus, he's speaking to Jewish men, right? Peter, James, John, Andrew, he's speaking to them. And he's speaking to the future Christians as well, who are highly Jewish in the early years. And when he says this in verse 14, he says, The day is coming when you will see the sacrilegious object that causes desecration. He's not saying, I'm going to send you back in a time machine to 168 BC. He's saying, you're going to see this. All right? In other words, you won't see Antiochus, but you're going to see something like that, all right? a type of that. In fact, it's an antichrist, a type of antichrist, anti-anointed one. All right? And so in AD 70, they kind of see that. They see that in, in the temple being destroyed by the Roman um, army. And, uh, and the ho- it was a terrible massacre. Uh, but the temple was destroyed in AD 70. Some bricks were left, but everything was thrown to the ground, just like Jesus prophesied earlier in, in uh, Mark 13. And uh, only some bricks were left, and they built the, the Wailing Wall. You can go there even today and see that. But there's no temple because it's destroyed. But, but Jesus here is prophesying to a future. Now, I don't know the details of it, but it seems to me that eventually one day the temple in Jerusalem will be restored, built again. And someone, a person, will stand there where they should not be. And it's interesting because Mark writes in here, in brackets you'll see in your Bibles, let the reader pay attention. Oh, it doesn't matter, don't, that's all right. Let the reader pay attention. In other words, this is, this is for someone in the future that's going to read this. This is a prophecy that's going to happen. You can read Revelation chapter 6 through to chapter 12, and you'll see all of this taking place, right? What it is called is the tribulation, all right? That's the technical term that Christians like to call it, the tribulation. It's just a real struggle, tribulation. It's a time of real pressure 
all right? That word tribulation or pressure, it's, it's like when you, when you um, have a soft drink bottle and you shake it up and there's a whole lot of pressure inside and it's eventually going to come out. But it's going to come out a tiny little spot at the top where you loosen it. And that's, that's what this, um, this tribulation is all about. It's a greater anguish. Jesus, uh, in verse 19, he says, For there will be greater anguish in those days than at any time since God created the world, and it will never be so great again. Interesting. He's talking about a day that's coming that's going to be so bad, it's going to be worse than anything that's happened since creation. Now, that includes Noah's flood. Noah's worldwide fight is going to be worse than that. It's going to be so bad. It's going to be worse than anything ever, create, ever done since creation. And it will be the last time anything bad will happen so badly. I know that's really bad English. But it's a tribulation. It's a time of great anguish. And Jesus says, you will see to the disciples. And then he says, reader, pay attention to you and I, to you and I, we need to we need to be aware, be aware of what's going on around the world, and and be prepared for his return because he's coming back one day. And sometimes it's easy for us to forget that we we can get into our routine autopilot schedules and forget that Jesus is coming back one day, and he actually is going to come back one day. You know that should change the way we live our lives. Should change the way we believe about the future, about the problems we face. Jesus is going to come back one day. What should we do then, Jesus? You know, we're on the we're on the Mount of Olives with Jesus, and He says, "This is what's going to happen." Right? The day is coming. Right? What should we do? Well, this is what we should do. Apparently, this is what we should do. We should run and pray. We should run. In in verse fourteen. And following the end of verse 14, Jesus says, When you see this this sacrilegious object that causes desecration standing where he should not be, then then you should run. Then run. Those in Judea must flee to the hills. A person out on the deck of a roof must not go down to the house to pack. In other words, the stairway going up from underneath the house, from the ground floor of the house up to the roof, don't bother going down the stairway inside the house. Just go down the stairway and up to the hills. Run. Run. Get out of there. Just get out of town. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, this is so serious. You don't need anything. Just get out of there. And Jesus, um, he says, um, a person out in the field must not return even to get a coat. Don't have time for that. Don't have time for that. This must be a very, very hard time coming, a very bad time coming. To run, to run away from, from where the temple is, all right? From run, to run away from that antichrist figure that sets himself up, all right? Run. You know, it's interesting because sometimes I feel like as Christians, we shouldn't run. You know, we should fight. We should have faith. We should stand up against the antichrist and, uh, you know, show our faith against him. But Jesus says run. And it reminded me of a story, you know, in the Old Testament where jo- Joseph... Excuse me. It reminded me of the story in the Old Testament where Joseph was in Potiphar's house and he was there alone and Potiphar's wife was there. And Potiphar's wife wanted to have her way with Joseph. And what did Joseph do? He didn't stand up against her and say, 
you know, this is this is who did actually. He said, I couldn't do this, and he ran. You know, when she tried to go for him, he ran. He got out of there. You know, and, and that's what Jesus is saying. Because there will come a time, and he said it already, where false messiahs and false prophets will come, and they can even deceive, if possible, God's chosen ones. Now, the idea is that it's not possible if you're a chosen one of God. But the fact is that there will come a time where people will come and they will spin off some yarns and it will sound like something from the Bible. It will sound really religious. It will sound so Christian, but it will be so far away from Jesus and the spirit of truth. It's not funny. And Jesus doesn't want you or I to be in that situation. He wants you and I to run away from that situation because What's going to happen is he's going to come back anyway. He's going to take you to be with him where there's going to be none of that. No doubts, no temptations, no false prophets or false messiahs. All right? Let's go on. I'm nearly, I'm nearly going down the rabbit warrens because there's a lot of them. So run, right? And the next one is pray. And so Jesus says in verse 18, and pray, or sorry, let's not forget the pregnant women. In verse 17, he says how terrible it will be for pregnant women and for nursing mothers in those days. In other words, it'll be so hard for them because they will be slowed down because they're pregnant or nursing. They won't be able to run as fast as everyone else. All right, That's the idea there. And so in verse 18 he says, And pray that your flight, your escape, that is, will not be in winter. Pray. Pray that it won't be in winter. Pray. You know, what that says to me is that Jesus is thinking of a worldwide thing that's going to happen in the future. Because when, when, the, when this event happens that he speaks about in verse 14, it, it's, it's going to be a particular season in Jerusalem. But Jesus here is speaking worldwide. See, it's every season right now around the world. And he's saying, pray that it won't be in winter for you. You know, pray that it won't be in winter. And he goes on. Something else we need to do. Verse 19. There will be greater anguish in those days than at any time since God created the world, and it will never be so great again. In fact, unless the Lord, unless the Lord shortens that time of calamity, not a single person will survive. But for the sake of his chosen ones, he has shortened those days. Really hard days. Tribulation days, pressure days, right? And then he goes on from verse 21 to 22. Watch out for these false messiahs, false prophets, right? Verse 23 tells us what we need to do next. We need to watch out. Watch out. In verse 23, Jesus says, watch out. He also says that same word in verse 5 and verse 9. We looked at that last week, but not so much in detail. And I want you to have a look at that because the idea here is that you're looking at something physically that has a spiritual connotation and it requires you to think about something, uh, think about your answer to it, think about something that you need to do about it. It's like, it's like there's, a, there's a hidden agenda behind something that looks normal to your eyes. And so he's saying, watch out, watch out. So in verse 5, he says, if you've got your Bibles, Jesus replied to them, don't let anyone mislead you, right? In the, in the Greek there, he's saying, watch that no one misleads you. Watch that no one misleads you. In other words, use your eyes because 
Watch out, you might get tricked because people will try and mislead you. All right? Things will come your way and try and mislead you. What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean? It means to follow Jesus. That's what it means. And sometimes people will come to you and they'll say it means this, it means this, and you've got to add this and this and this and this. And it's really just about following Jesus. That's all the disciples did for three and a half years. And when Jesus left and the Holy Spirit came, everyone that was attacking them noticed that these men had been with Jesus. Being a Christian just means being with Jesus, being in a relationship with him. And sometimes things can be added on to that. Like we've got to have a to-do list, you know, all these other things. Watch that no one leads you astray. Watch that no one teaches you something that leads you astray. All right. How can we, how can we stop? Um, how can we watch out? Well, we need to look at the cross and not the crowd. Follow the cross and not the crowd. Jesus said to his disciples, take up your cross and follow me. All right. Some of the things that we need to do as Christians and the things we need to say, the way we need to think, it, it's going to be counterculture. You will go against the flow. You won't be following the crowd. And, and our world tells us that uh, majority rules. You know, if the majority of people say that it's right, it has to be right. Whereas we need to be people of the word. All right, the cross, not the crowd. The word, not the world. And Jesus says, watch out. And then he says these words in verse 7, straight after that. And you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Watch out and don't panic. Watch out and don't panic. Right? What did we do last year when COVID hit Australia's shores? Everyone panics. You know, the great toilet paper crisis came our way, didn't it? Panic. Verse 9 is another one where, where Jesus says, watch out. He says, when these things begin to happen, watch out. You'll be handed over to the local councils and beaten in the synagogues. All right, you'll go through all this stuff because of the gospel, right? He says, watch out for your opportunity. Watch out for your opportunity. Don't worry about what you're going to say in advance. This is your opportunity. Don't worry. The word we get in uh, our English word worry is from the old word for strangle, to strangle something. It was a hunting terminology in uh, England. And, uh, you know, when we worry about something, it strangles us. It strangles the life, the air out of us. We need to see the opportunities that come our way. That opportunity is hidden in opposition so many times. In Revelation, we're not going to look at all of Revelation, but I just want to look at this one verse in Revelation. It's beautiful because it's Jesus, right? The revelation of Jesus Christ. But at the very beginning, in verse 3 of Revelation, it says, God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church, and he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says, for the time is near. You know, bless. Blessed is the one who reads this. Blessed is the one who teaches this. Not stressed. Not stressed. Blessed. Sometimes we can, we can get stressed out when, when someone talks about 
the end times and, you know, am I a believer? Am I one of the elect? Am I chosen? Is Jesus coming back? Has he already been back? Did I miss the boat? You know, and we, some, sometimes it can just be really stressful. But I want to encourage you tonight, just watch out. Don't, don't worry. Don't get stressed. Be blessed. Jesus is going to come back. And I figure if you're talking to, if I'm talking to him the most, then, uh, you know, every day, then I kind of get an idea if he's going to be leaving his house to come back here. You know, if I'm talking to him in prayer and he talks to me, then I might know that he's closer. That's just for, uh, that's just for somebody tonight. I don't know where that came from, but watch out. Watch out for your opportunity. Don't panic. Don't worry. And then in verse 23 of Mark 13, watch out for Jesus' return. As Jesus said, shit, everyone's got an opinion about Jesus' return. But we need to watch out for his return, as he says. Um, there has been a lot of weirdos out there in history that have said that Jesus has already come back. And some people have even claimed to be the Messiah. All kinds of sex, sects and cults have uh, risen, sadly. Um, some are still alive to this day. Uh, leading people astray. But um, you will know when Jesus comes back. You and I will know. It says in Revelation uh, chapter 1, verse 7, that uh, he is coming on the clouds. Every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him will see him. So it's this whole idea that, that everyone will, will see this. It's not just the ones that are alive right now. Everyone, even those who pierced him, will see him. Those who nailed Jesus to the cross will be there witnessing Jesus coming on the clouds from heaven with great power and glory. It's a, it's a beautiful thought if you're in a relationship with Jesus. But it's, it, must be, it, it must be a horrible day if you're not. But he says, um, he says, watch out. I have warned you about this ahead of time in verse 23. The sun, uh, sorry, at that time... After the anguish of those days, so after that terrible um, tribulation period, some people believe that's about seven years, so it doesn't sound that long, but it's going to be horrific, right? It says, uh, at that time, after the anguish of those days, the sun will be darkened. The sun will be darkened, just darkened. Like the flames will just go out on it. And the moon, obviously, will give no light. You know, on Wednesday night after Bible study, we went out and had a look at the lunar eclipse outside you know, the front of our house. Did anyone see it? It was really cool. You know, watching the, um, the, the moon, uh, the shadow of the earth crossing over the moon. And uh, it was really eerie and uh, kind of cool at the same time. But one day that won't happen because the sun won't be shining on the moon, you won't. The, the moon will lose its light. Everything will just go black. The stars will fall from the sky, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Wow. That's it. That Jesus here is actually quoting Old Testament scriptures, like Isaiah thirteen chapter ten and, and Isaiah thirty four chapter four, and Joel. Chapter 2, verse 10. Jesus is quoting these Old Testament scriptures about something that's going to happen in the future after this great tribulation. 
after the anguish, everything's going to be shaken. It's all going to fall to the ground. It's all going to disappear. It's going to be horrible. There'll be nowhere to run. The moon's gone. The sun's gone. The tides are gone. Imagine what happens to the ocean. Everything will just go chaotic all of a sudden. Now, that could be good reason to be afraid, to panic, and to worry. But Jesus is telling us in advance. He's warning us ahead of time. So if we are in that particular period, we don't need to worry so much. We can just brace ourselves. Brace ourselves for his return. Brace yourself. In verse 26 it says, Then everyone will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with great power and glory. Revelation 1, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 7 says, Every eye will see him. Every eye will see him. The, you will see him. I will see him. Your relatives will see him. Every single person in your life that's ever maybe said to you, I can't see him, so I won't believe in him, will see him, but it will be too late to believe in him. That could be a sad thing. But everyone will see him. They will see this. <coughs> excuse me, they will see the Son of Man. Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. It's beautiful because he is. He's the Son of God, but he's also the Son of Man. He, he will look exactly like he looked when he left the earth. You know, in, in Acts, when he left the disciples, he ascended up to heaven to, to be seated at the right hand of God in authority. When he left, the angel said to the disciples, he's coming back just like you saw him leave. He's going to come back to Jerusalem that day. Every eye will see him. I'm not sure how it's going to happen, but every eye will see him. Jesus is no liar. When he says that everyone will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with great power and glory, then he's telling the truth. Not just power, but power and glory. Power and glory. Check out Daniel 7.13. That's a picture of that as well. Also, I want to turn your attention, if you've got your Bibles, if you've got an old paper one like me, turn over to Mark chapter 14 and verse 62. We see Jesus here before the council um, being, um, he's been arrested, now he's being tried, and he's before the council, and they're accusing him of different things, and they bring in liars to stir up false facts about him. And, and they say in verse 61, um, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? And Jesus said in verse 62, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming on the clouds of heaven. You know, even they will see him. Jesus said to these high priests, these priests, you will see the Son of Man coming. He's coming. Brace yourself. Brace yourself. I've never given birth in my life that I can remember. My wife has given birth five times. Now, brace yourself would be a good, good instruction before that event. Um, laughing at her would not be a very good thing to do. Uh, praying with her would be nice. But instructing someone who's going to give birth to a baby to brace themselves, like the impact's going to happen, the baby's about to come out, brace yourself. 
You know, there's nothing you can do to stop this from happening. It's going to happen. You can't push it back. It's coming out. It's that kind of mentality. And Jesus doesn't, doesn't hold back when he says that these, this time that's coming that's going to be hard, it's, it's hard, but all it is, it's like the beginning of birth pains. He doesn't say it's birth pains. He says it's like the beginning of birth pains. What are birth pains? Contractions. It's pain, it's contraction, it's restriction, and it, and it's, and it comes over time. Um, the pain increases, and the intervals between the pain get shorter. So eventually, the pain is so unbearable, or seemingly unbearable, that you just have to brace yourself because the baby is coming. And the idea here is, is that very thing. It's birth pains. And Jesus... I believe, doesn't really mind if we do some study on end times. You know, you can be a pan-millennialist if you like to be, or you can be a pre-trib, post-trib, whatever you want to be, trib. All right? Study it. Study it. Go for it. Read it. Interesting stuff. But the real point I think Jesus wants us to take home from tonight is that it's just going to happen. And he wants us to be aware, to watch out, to use our eyes and see things the way they are, but with a spiritual perspective. That it's not going to last forever. Your house is not going to last forever. Your job is not going to last forever. You are. And the people you love are. And that is why Jesus came to die on the cross. So don't worry. Don't panic. Flee temptation. Pray. Pray for those that are struggling. And watch, watch. Just keep your eyes open and watch. We don't know the time, the hour of the day, but we know the Saviour. Let's keep our eyes on Him too. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for Jesus. We thank You so much that He is the way, the truth, the life. We thank You so much, Lord Jesus, for Your teaching, Your prophecy here. It will happen exactly as You've declared it to happen. This is not some kind of fairy tale, Lord. You've shown us. You've told us. You've passed it on down through the generations for the reader to understand. And we're reading your word tonight. Help us to to come to the bottom line on what you're saying, Lord. Uh, Just to be careful. To watch out. To watch for you. To watch out for those that want to trick us. Lord, help us to stay close to you. Lord, help us to read our Bibles for ourselves. Help us to pray and stay in relationship with you for ourselves. Help us not to panic, but help us to love others, Lord. Help us to care for them. Think of others' needs more than our own. Holy Spirit, we need you to fill us to help us to do this. Help us to be your witnesses, Lord Jesus, in this place. And Lord, as we share your good news with people, Lord, we thank you so much that it just means that you're coming even sooner. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen.